This week on Beggar's Bread, we will be discussing some potentially sensitive topics, so uh, about purity culture and tangential issues. If this is a sensitive um, listener, or like if you're listening with some younger ears, I should say, um, might want to just listen to it first and uh, then see if you want to share it. And with that, welcome to Beggar's Bread a podcast where we invite Christians and truth seekers to engage with thoughtful sources in an age of disinformation. Our name is inspired from a quote by D.T. Niles. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Each week, we recommend a source for you, either a sermon, podcast, or video. This week, we bring you Purity Reimagined. And with that, this is Luke here in Wisconsin, and I'm here with Nick in North Carolina. How's it going, Nick? Hey, it's going pretty well. Looks like we're about halfway through season five. Shout out to our podcast. <laughs> Self shout out. right now on the air. High five <laughs> us. Virtual high five. Virtual high five across states. Across states. You know who's not across states. Um. Oh, yeah. And we're, well, not that I forgot, but I just... I was like, I, we've been talking, we've been chatting, and we're joined this week by Kristen, who is actually also in North Carolina. How's it going, Kristen? It's going good. That's good to hear. And if you have been a longtime listener of Beggar's Bread, you may have recognized Kristen. Uh, she was with me in an interview back in Season 1, Episode 6. Assault, Boundaries, and a Vision for Kids. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would just pause this and go and listen to that one first. Um, And yeah, Kristen's my sister. She has a bachelor's degree in social work and a master's degree in social work. Um, So we've in the past talked about, as you imagine, Assault, Boundaries, and a Vision for Kids. All sorts of good stuff, important things. And we were like, hey, we really like that. And we know our audience really like that because they people listen to that episode a lot um you know for some reason that was more interesting to people than economics i don't know why but you know no that's uh (laughs) (laughs) i i definitely did not get feedback on that episode saying hey i did not know what he was talking about and i'm like same neither did i This is perfect. Um, this is, I know we've been hanging out for a little while talking about this, um, just laughing and having a good time. So you get a feel for what we're doing. Um, this week, we are recommending a podcast episode from Theology in the Raw. Theology in the Raw is a podcast by Preston Sprinkle, and he has on his friend Jason Soshinek. Uh, specifically, we're recommending podcast number seven, episode number seven fifty four: sex, youth culture, pornography, and why the purity movement didn't work. Um, so that's a, a long title, but I think you get the idea. So today we're talking about purity culture, and for those of you, I we know our you know some people listening might be from a church background, some might not. And when you say the words purity culture, people have some different ideas. Or they might be like, I have no idea what that is. What are you talking about? So just to give, I don't know, a broad... I don't, my, my thought is if the three of us can maybe briefly give an idea of like, oh, this is what I experience. When I, when I think of purity culture, this is what I think of. So I, I can start because I'm just bringing this on you. 
Um, and in, you know, beggar's bread fashion, I'm springing a bunch of questions on Nick and Kristen this week. Um, so that was, hey, um, spread the load. <laughs> yeah. So I'll go first because I've been thinking about it a little bit. Um, when someone says beauty culture, I'm thinking, uh, basically, what did churches teach teenagers and children or young adults about dating about modesty and just kind of about pornography um so that's like super broad um i will say just for some background so it sounds like you know we we did some research um (laughs) joshua harris is often referenced in talking about purity culture he wrote a book called i kiss dating goodbye um that was written i think in the 90s uh, he's a very young man who wrote the book, later basically totally reversed his position on writing the book. But in that book, he was talking about courtship and, as you guessed it, how dating is, he kissed it at goodbye. Like, it's not, not the right thing. Sometimes um, other movements are also referenced. Um, one is True Love Waits. That was a little bit different than I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, but, you know, a message about abstinence, definitely um, talking about sex and dating and um anyway so that just to give i'll give one example before i ask you guys to share but i remember when i was in middle school and you know these are people that i love it's not like people i'm like i can't believe they did this to me uh, but i remember there was like a, a um a paper heart like a big paper heart as like a visual and they said this is your heart before you date anyone and then they said, after you date someone, this is your heart. And they ripped off a chunk of the heart. And then they were like... Whoa, what? <laughs> Wait for it. So then they are like... And then if you date someone else, and they rip off another chunk of the heart. And then they'd be like, get down to this little tiny piece of paper. And they're like... And then you get married. And this is all you have to give your spouse. And I was like... So... Okay, also, this is like, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago or something. So it might have been a little bit more nuanced and a little bit less severe than that message. But that was, I remember pretty clearly that that analogy. Um, so Jason, on the episode we're recommending, says something similar to that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I totally remember that. Um, so before I go and give my own thoughts about dating and how it may be a little bit different than just ripping off chunks of your heart... <laughs> um, you guys want to brutal fashion yeah. <laughs> yeah um tell me when someone says purity culture what comes up uh what what thoughts are you thinking about i know i think of when in my own history i had instances of like because it wasn't necessarily as i wasn't necessarily exposed to it from like my family but i definitely was around people and different environments like particularly within like our church environment that we're big advocates for but it wasn't something that was like completely across the board within that entire institution right um but i do remember specifically trot attempting to i.e or like date somebody but not really date them because their parents were very particular about like oh no it's chaperoning because you're courting them um which obviously did not turn out well, at least for me, um, in the sense of it definitely 
put a lot of like very like harsh restrictions on even like holding hands or even being alone like there was no trust involved in the process and so I think it definitely impacted me in a, in a negative way um in that some of the things that people would in most situations considered to be just kind of like normal behaviors like you know like giving somebody a hug or holding their hand was like taboo in a sense it was almost like they created a situation in which that was kind of like this sensual act um and I think that definitely like impacted me in the long term yeah I feel like beauty culture is hard to like completely sum up like the like when you think about it or when I think about it like it's like oh it's this and this like it's purity rings and it's like my it's like knowing people whose dads made their boyfriends sign contracts a lot regarding like stuff like Nick is talking about like physical boundaries instead of like teaching teaching like how to set boundaries how to keep boundaries like what boundaries do you want it's like very like it your value is always tied to like like yeah like sex in relationships um I don't know like an extreme sorry this may be like too explicit for this podcast I don't know but it's like an extreme value for like virginity specifically like intercourse like not not like just different kinds of sex like it's it's just very like everything and and I think for women it's also really connected to like like what we're talking about like like what you wear but um also I feel like for women it's like also kind of controlling each other like whether that's like telling other girls not to wear certain things or not to date certain boys like I feel like it's all like connected or like it's all was a part of purity culture for me interesting let me before I go too far can you tell me I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I know what a purity ring is, but I think some listeners may not. What is a purity ring? I did not have one, but my understanding, I'm trying to make sure. Yeah. Um, a purity ring is like, I'm pretty sure it's like dads would give it to their daughters. Oh, part of purity culture is like father-daughter dances where like, mm-hmm. like girls saw, I didn't necessarily go to one like specifically like this I think it's I I don't know if this is for sure true but I think it's like part of the true love weights kind of um campaign where like girls would sign like that they're not going to have sex before marriage and then their dads would give them like a ring to like and they would wear their ring like kind of as an outward symbol that they've like promised not to not to like have sex before marriage if that makes sense Yes, it makes sense in that I understand the concept. Um, and it's interesting. Let me, uh, I know we've actually talked about this in the past, Kristen, this specifically. So we're going to dive right into this. Um, when someone has their daughter sign a contract, or no, I'm sorry, not not their daughter. They have their boyfriend sign a contract? Or, mm-hmm. or both? I mean, that's like, yeah, that was a thing. or Or just like, you know, I feel like negative? that there's like intimidating dad or like just this idea that like, well, I mean, to me, if I'm 
like old enough to date, then I should be old enough to like talk to my partner about what kind of boundaries I want to have in our relationship. And like, I don't really need my dad or anyone else like trying to control my partner, like by making them sign a contract. Like it to me, it doesn't really teach very good. Like, what are you gonna when you're 25, or is your dad gonna have? your boyfriend signed a contract about, like, how they're supposed to behave around you. Like, that doesn't really... I don't know. To me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's some different power dynamics at play, for sure. Even even without the power dynamics, like, how is that helpful? Like, what are you... What kind of skills are you left with in dating? I don't know. Wouldn't it be better to, like, have an open relationship with your child and, like, try to navigate like they talk to you about their relationship and you can like help them work through like how that's going for them and like encourage them to try to like discern their values and how they want to show up and be present in a dating relationship like to me that feels even as a teenager that was always like I don't I was always like why can't you have those conversations like why why do you need someone else to do that for you and like, especially once you're, like, 15, 16, 17, like, you're old enough to be able to share those values verbally. Like, you don't need someone else doing that. I don't know. That's my, like, my thought. It's, like, I don't want to raise a child who can't communicate their values and needs and boundaries in a relationship. Okay, there's one thing that, as you were talking, I just thought of. Is there a difference, do you think, between someone being, maybe not in, like, oh, I should... Okay, part of this, actually, let me just pause for a second before I keep asking questions, because I, you know, I like asking questions and getting to nitty gritty. Part of my goal, and I think our goal, is both kind of deconstructing some of purity culture to say, hey, some of this was really unhelpful, um, but also to say, oh, okay, well, what what uh, do we think about these same topics? Um, so just to give a, a preface for people who are listening maybe like wow they're just they're going to all these details and then what what are they trying to do so i guess that kind of gives an orientation of like hey we're there are some bad things and then there are some just some other ideas that we'd like to share so i am curious Kristen, um because you mentioned age like when you're 25 and then you went bound at 15 16 or 17 like you should be able to know the difference do you think there's any difference in age of like maybe not a contract but like just parental involvement in dating that you're like oh I can sympathize with this yeah I mean but I think that's like I think it's like the way you're involved right so like I I think that purity culture reinforces this idea that like parents have control over their children and they like I don't, I just don't think that's <laughs> this is a different topic but I don't think that's real like I can't like, I can't make choices for my one-and-a-half-year-old. Like, I can't make choices for my 15-year-old. So the, the involvement is, like, you're trying to walk through life with your child. And, and of course, you might set your own boundaries in your own home or in your car or things like if you want to set boundaries for, like, what you feel like is appropriate for your 15-year-old, like, going on a date with their 15-year-old like significant other sure like I think you can be involved in that way but I think there's a different level of like like 
I'm going to try to help you learn how to date and have a healthy relationship versus I'm going to make sure you like stay a virgin. Like those are two different goals, I guess. And to me, purity culture, the goal is like, you're, you're going to stay a virgin no matter what. So I'm going to not let you like the courting, like you're always going to be supervised and you're never gonna, um, like your boyfriend's going to sign a contract and like, I'm going to control everything so that you don't have, I mean, like this is to me, this is also part of it. Like this is so crass, but it's, it's like penal vaginal intercourse. Like that is what I am saving you from. That is the goal. Sorry if that's too crass. We can act like, but that, that's like, to me, that's the message of purity culture. Sorry if that's like... No, that's... I, I actually... I think that's... As we've been talking... Actually, all all three. And especially, I think, while Nick was sharing his experience with this idea of courtship. And it just... It kind of reconnected the dots as I've been thinking about it. My brain's just coming like, ah, oh, this. A lot of it comes from, I think, like this idea of like Victorian era England. And I am not an expert in... <laughs> like that time period uh but like it's just a it's a different culture um and i guess what i think of when i think of somebody okay i'm like i'm having this difficult part between part of me wants to be like oh let's talk about how this is really not helpful with purity culture (laughs) And then Barbie's like, oh, let's talk about good things to talk about. <laughs> and I'm trying to do both of them at the same time. It's just kind of wacky. Um, so, yeah, we'll just try to do both at the same time. <laughs> um, with talking about dating, like, as this idea of, like, okay, let's, let's take purity rings, contracts, or, like, the intimidating dad. Part of me is thinking all three of those things are, like, what you said, Kristen, they're, they're designed to try and, you know, disincentivize sex. And my thought is if someone is willing to have underage or like non-marital sex without their parents knowing is like, if in other words, like basically they'll probably have to lie. What is to keep them from lying with like a contract or a ring or just like who they are in front of you. So I don't know. Part of me is like, it's a attempt to control someone that I'm like, I don't know if that's, but whatever, maybe it worked. I don't know. I kind of think it could just be more damaging, but, um, <laughs> I did want to mention, cause I think the heart behind, but behind a lot of purity culture comes from a, like, it's in the context. I'm not saying this is okay, that this is the response, but there was a lot more sexual activity with teenagers than there is now from my understanding and we can talk about this a little bit later with pornography. I guess we're kind of talking about dating now. But it just was more common. And now we're in a quote-unquote sex recession. They mentioned it in the Theology in the Raw episode. Um, so I could see parents kind of freaking out being like, oh my goodness, I need to protect my kid. But here's my challenge. Because I know there are people listening to this that might be like, hey, I, you're describing me. This is how I interact with my kids. Or this is how I want to interact with my kids. Let's flesh out the fear, because I feel like sometimes this is helpful for me if I have a fear. And that's where it seems like this control is coming from. 
let's say your kid has sex and they get pregnant, you know, and if let's say you're Christian, we're kind of operating this Christian context, you know, what, what does Jesus have to say? Is he saying, oh, their life is over, you know, they're not going to be able to go to college or get the job that they want because now they have to take care of a kid or you're going to be so ashamed as a parent? Or is it going to be like, yeah, they sinned. Um, I still love them. They're still part of my plan. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say is like to, to go to the root of that fear. I don't know if, do you guys think I'm getting, naming that fear correctly? This idea of like teenage pregnancy, is there something else? I agree that I feel like that's often how it's presented. I would actually classify it as an economic fear. It is often tied to women's ability to maintain like the family socioeconomic status and like you said, go to college, have this like certain expectation of a lifestyle that she was supposed to have. It doesn't feel very connected to spiritual fears often. Um, yeah, that's how I would classify it. Mm. How about you, Nick? Do you have any uh, any more fears you want to add to our, our fear list? Well, I just keep thinking about how, in many ways, the, the idea of, like, waiting... Um, can diminish your identity, right? If your entire identity is wrapped up in your virginity versus your life in Christ, particularly within that Christian context, right? So like one of those tenets of, you know, this culture that we're talking about is like, you know, if you're, if you wait, then you're going to have a great sex life in marriage. And so there's this expectation, almost like a, and they talk about this in the podcast, right? The This prosperity sexual gospel in which like they're kind of setting you up for failure. Um, and then on the flip side of that, if your identity is all wrapped up in one's virginity, then how does that affect somebody that's been like sexually assaulted, right? How does that create in them almost like a dehumanization of like who they are? If their entire identity within this culture has been kind of like wrapped up in maintaining virginity but not actually like possessing any sort of like spiritual growth if that makes sense and i don't think this was on topic i think that's right on topic um and we can because what you're saying and actually the the story i was talking about with like a heart being ripped there's a sense of purity culture of almost like a scarcity of value like you only have so much value that you can give and so i guess like we are kind of moving topics but i think that's okay i think this is good. We got a lot of stuff we're talking about, so we can keep moving. Um, this sense of like, you have a finite amount of good to offer someone. And once you offer any of it, it's gone. And if it's taken from you, it's gone. And I like, maybe my words aren't super precise, but like, to put it simply, there's actually, there was an organization that I internshiped with called pure hope and this is where the the title of this podcast episode comes from purity reimagined because they talked about purity not in this kind of purity culture vein although the name of their organization might lead you to think that they talked about how purity is not an accomplishment but it's a relationship with jesus christ so again obviously we're in a christian context talking about these things if you're not a christian you know 
we're so happy you're joining us, but some of this language might be like, oh, that's okay. Um, but the idea of being very simply like, we are not defined by our by our sins or our choices of the past. We're defined by our identity in Christ. Like literally, if you've been assaulted or if, you know, you've given up your virginity or blah, 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 like your value to a spouse, first of all, isn't just related to your sexual value. Um, but second of all, like it, it never was this sense of like, it depends on you. Like your value depends on Christ's value. It, like his bestowing value. And like God made us very good before the fall, before all the, you know, the mess of sin entered the world. But even after the fall, when Christ redeemed us, there's a sense that, you know, it's not about your performance, right? Like that's, that's the whole idea of the gospel, like grace. It's a gift to us. Like whether you've given up your virginity, whether someone has taken something from you, you are still a whole person. You, your, your life has meaning because of your relationship to God, because of like you are made in his image. Um, I don't know. Now I feel like I'm maybe getting off topic, but I feel like it's related because there's a sense of like, or even I do want to return briefly to how I started this with the, with the heart that was ripped, like the piece of paper heart. I've not, not through any intention of my own, but I've dated several different people. Um, I never like had an idea of how many people I date, I date, but like, yeah, I've dated several people. And if I were to look back with that lens of like, oh, that's a piece of my heart that's gone. I think I'd be missing, you know, amazing things I've gained from those relationships. Like, like people that have passed on lots of wisdom that have influenced me and how I think about the world have influenced who I am. And it's interesting because, you know, for those dating relationships, um, you know, they end up, they either end up in breakup or marriage, right? And they all ended up in breakup. And I'm actually totally okay with that. But I can still look back and go, wow, I gained a lot from that person. I really learned a lot from that person. And that is not reflected in that analogy of the heart, like a cardboard piece ripped off. Um, I don't know if you guys, I, I just kind of talked for a while. Um, if you had any more thoughts on purity culture and dating, if you want to share them, otherwise we can move on to, to modesty, everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> Hmm. Well, what you're talking about just there, it just reminds me that like, there's almost this like commodification of even the other person that's like, you know, air quote, like tearing off that piece of your heart, right? Like, you're losing something. And then you're also kind of dehumanizing them in the process as well, because you're not taking into account their innate value that they're bringing to your life in that moment, too. Um, which you would think, would run contrary like we talked about before to the gospel and like people having that that worth right right yeah i, I mean I, I mean yeah i think i think so much of purity culture this might be distilling it down in a way that's a little too simplistic because there's different ways to look at this but it, it really feels like a lot of it is trying to take an old like a, a different culture in this case victorian britain and trying to like plop it into 21st century america and i'm not saying we don't have anything to learn from victorian era britain but i am saying that is not the context we're in 
Um, so I actually think this might be a good segue to talk about modesty because um, I remember a huge part of purity culture was basically saying, hey, women, you need to cover up and men just don't look at women poorly or just don't look at them at all, which is really sad. But um, I'm curious. <laughs> I don't know. Did I segue too quickly? Did you guys want to tap into dating a little bit more? And we also, they can, you know, we can talk about both as we go. No, I think we're good. I think it was a good transition. <laughs> okay, love it. Um, so, talking about modesty, um, and I don't know, in circles I've been in, I've, I've talked about this so many times, it's like, oh man, I don't know. If, but I'm also like, hey, people listening, they may be like, what, what, what about modesty? What are you talking about modesty for? Um, yeah, I just remember at like a summer camp and I don't even think all of this is bad but like to take they took the women in one group and the men in, in another group and uh men it was basically like you know you are gonna have trouble controlling your urges and the way you look at women so look them in the eye or don't look at them and I can't remember if I already said this or not on when we were recording because we were talking before the podcast but I remember once a counselor that I was talking with had said, Hey, instead of the sense of like not looking at somebody, what if, and not in like a creepy or staring way, but like, what if you behold that someone is beautiful, just as if you're walking in a field and you'd see flowers, you would behold that. Oh God, God made this beautiful flower. That's, that's wonderful. Um, and anyway, I, but before I get into that too much, I'm going to ask you, Kristen, specifically, if that's okay. When you were talking about something with women telling other women what to wear, do you mind explaining that a little bit? Because I actually was not familiar with that before you mentioned that earlier. I think it's in dating, too. But um, because purity culture is a lot of, like, regulating, like, the feminine I guess or like women's bodies women's women are held a lot like responsible for men in purity culture so like modesty is like you can't wear spaghetti straps was like a big one or like short shorts or short any like skirts or lope obviously like you can't show any cleavage so it's um everything is so regulated and and it's like all written out like you talk about summer camp like in summer camp like there's all these rules for girls about what they can and can't wear in terms of like swimsuits like everything is so regulated and in a lot of that you're like taught because your value is like placed on this how pure you are you're like also supposed to like encourage other girls so it's like you police each other's like and you join in so I think modesty is often used as kind of like what you were saying like it's it's like instead of like let's teach all people to look at each other as like and appreciate the bodies we've been given and the beauty that they have in them and like respect and honor 
the human that is inside of them, it's like, you can't wear that because it's going to make men think about you a certain way. And that it often just gives license and almost encourages men, I would say boys, men, like to think about women that way and use it as justification for like the way they think about or treat women. And so then to kind of keep yourself safe and other girls safe, you like tell them, no, you can't, like you can't wear that. That's against the rules. Or like you... Well, you, like, like, it's like, oh, well, that girl, I mean, this is horrible, but, like, the terms that girls use towards each other, like, slut or whore or whatever, like, it's like, well, she, it's, I don't know, it's just, like, a lot of, like, kind of policing, being negative, gossiping, like, controlling, or, like, if you're maybe jealous, then you would talk bad about what they're wearing. Like, it's all kind of, I don't know if that made any sense, but that's, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, that absolutely did. Um, especially, I think, when you were talking about... I don't remember the exact words you used, but the sense of almost giving license or encouraging men. I, I think it almost gives this... I don't know if this is the right word, but like this determinism or fatalism to men. The sense of like, you will look at women poor, like poorly. You will disrespect women. And we're just trying to mitigate that instead of here's how you can honor women with how you interact with them, with your words and with your eyes and with your body. Um, it's interesting. I, I feel like, cause yeah, what you just shared, I had like no idea, but as you shared, I'm like, okay, I, I feel like some, some people have explained that to me in the past and I, I maybe didn't pay attention as much as I could have. Um, but something that was weird for me being raised in the sense of like, don't, don't look, don't touch, don't speak certain things, um, is sometimes I would be in like a social setting and it'd be like, oh, if, if you're hanging out with like a, I think the word Nick used earlier was like sensualized or like, or like this idea that like a hug all of a sudden became like the super intense like physical thing instead of like a, Oh, I'm a friend and I'll hug you. Um, like I remember just hanging out. This is really, really particular, but I was hanging out with like a group of young adults. I think, you know, we were in like our early twenties and I was like, you know, if I were hanging out with guys, I would just put like my arm around their shoulder and be like, Oh, cool. And obviously some people communicate, Oh, I, I don't want that. Or I don't like that. And you respect that and don't do that. But I was sitting next to a girl and I was like, do I do that? Or is that weird? Like, and it was almost like there was all this pressure in my mind of like, is that wrong? And then like, it was the sort of thing that like, if I had spoken it out loud, I feel like most people would be like, no, that's not weird. But then it's almost like it was ingrained in my brain is like, no, like don't touch someone. <laughs> like, I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> And I think it makes sense. It's just challenging when, like, yeah, if it's become so ingrained. And obviously, like, there are certain <laughs> boundaries that people are going to have, right? Like, that you talked about before. Like, some people don't want that sort of, like, physical affection that they're getting from their friends. Um, but it also makes it, yeah, challenging to when you're so integrated into that environment or just, like, inoculated. 
um, to kind of like break away from that and think maybe differently and think perhaps this isn't as significant as I am thinking it is, you know? But that's exactly it. I feel like that's what I've learned over time is like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. But at the time, it seemed like this huge obstacle. I don't know if you guys experienced this. Um, this is... No, I think I have too. Because it's like most of my friends are girls. And so like it's definitely like... I think more... It was more in middle school where I wasn't necessarily... Like middle school and high school, I wasn't necessarily like engaging in those same population demographics. It was more like when I was in college that I actually like had really deep and meaningful relationships with females that like that, that sense of normalcy was there, you know, like we had that like just intense relationship with one another in a way that wasn't maybe what I had felt if I had those same relationships, like in high school in a different environment where I was getting like kind of that implicit feedback from other people in that culture or like, just within the constant rhetoric I would be hearing. That was, sorry, I don't know what I was saying anymore. I don't either, we'll just cut out a huge chunk. I was gonna say is that, I think when you are in, like, an environment where it feels like holding hands, kind of, Nikki said this, like, holding hands is kind of equated to, like, just as bad or, like, giving part of yourself and, like, part of yourself that has like all this value as like having sex with someone it's like hard to know what physical boundaries are appropriate or not and so it feels like if you're like a respectful person you're just not going to do a lot of like you're gonna just feel uncomfortable because everything is made out to be kind of this extreme like sexual like hypersexual act I guess does that make sense that's like so I feel like un, like learning what like physical boundaries are appropriate in different contexts is like takes more time and is more difficult because you're kind of like having to un understand like how sexual is this thing that I'm doing all the time. If that does that make sense? I don't know. That's like yes. What this conversation makes me think of. That's exactly how it, I experienced it. <laughs> um. Is that how you experienced it, Nick? <laughs> well, this was much earlier, so I think I definitely experienced it in a similar, like, shade or vein. Um, but that being said, like, in college, I definitely had, like, a lot of... I think I was unworking a lot of that, those preconceived notions I might have had before um, because the majority of my friends were female. So there was a shift in kind of, like, my perspective, I think, over time. Um which I think is hopeful. So I think that, yeah, there's hope in that, in that sense. And that like, yeah, you can like reframe how you view other people. Um, it just depends on if you're willing to put in that relational effort, I think. Yeah. And I think it also is like, if you have a healthy environment to do that in, because I guess like me coming as like maybe the victim advocate like I also feel like there's a lot of danger in that because in that in an unhealthy environment where everything is the same then like holding someone's hand is the same as like sexually assaulting someone in terms of it's like 
appropriate like inappropriateness like they're all just so bad instead of like like there is no there because anyway sorry that's my like maybe it's too negative but it, it like I feel like that's kind of the alternative extreme of like not it's like not being able to work through like what is appropriate because you don't have a healthy environment to like sort that out in like yeah I, I feel like Josh Duggar do you guys know who that is I feel like he's like the extreme example of like like what happens if all of these things are equated is that like child porn and child sexual abuse are the same as like holding someone's hand like before marriage and I think that like it, it becomes an extreme culture where it just is there's no ability to assess like what is safe or healthy yeah now I'm familiar with that and like the recent developments or like you know whatever fairly recent developments and how like they did equate those two things basically with each other which allowed for these abusive situations to like continue yeah it just it, to me it's like it just is actually extremely dangerous to not teach like kids and teens like what is appropriate and like what how things are different like different i don't know it just seems like very problematic and very like potentially like truly dangerous I guess if I don't know that's my I think that was like kind of my comment like I'm really obviously really glad it works out for you Nick and I think it worked out for me and Luke too and I think it does work out okay for a lot of people but it also like doesn't work out okay for a lot of people yeah body safety and boundaries is so important and and again I would just say too um if you haven't listened to season one episode six i would definitely listen to that because i think that's really more of a foundation i think this is a similar conversation but that a lot of the stuff that Kristen talked about in that episode is more almost just like a yeah i think a foundation is probably the best word i can use the sense of like hey let's start with some just basic important information and uh boundaries but anyway, um, there is one last thing I want to mention about modesty in that it's actually, I think it's with a lot of what we've been talking about, purity culture of this idea of like penal and vaginal sex, there's so much focus on the woman's responsibility, like modesty. If we were, if we're, hmm. if we're talking about modesty, like as a virtue, then it should also apply to men. This idea that like, men do you need to buy a rolex watch or do you need to have a really nice looking car um like do you need to impress people like that that the vice would be vanity that we're talking about with that's for both gender whether it's looks or money or whatever vainglory i think is the right term for it or whatever the classic term whatever um And so if we're really talking about modesty for the sake of modesty as a sense of like, oh, we want to combat this vice of vainglory, it should be more expansive than just woman cover up. Um, So anyway, with that, we we can move on to talk about pornography. Um, Yeah. Okay. This is kind of an interesting 
time. Well, wait, before I move on to pornography, did anyone else have anything they would like to add or subtract or change on modesty? No. No, I agree with what you were talking about before, how there does seem to be that double standard or that, again, modesty is framed only in how people are viewing, like, a person's body, you know, particularly, like, the female body and not thinking about how men in particular, like, there's kind of that, like, unchecked lack of modesty, you know, that's never really discussed in a sense and, like, Almost, uh, almost. You could frame it as like a lack of humility as well. Absolutely, I think it, it ties very well into humility. This idea of how do you present yourself, and again, I don't think that's a bad conversation to have. Have I don't think it's wrong to carefully consider how we portray ourselves, how we express ourselves, how we show ourselves to other people. But if we're really going to talk about that conversation seriously, I think that's where it's like, okay, what what are we talking about with vainglory and humility? Um, are we just talking? That's where I think what Kristen was talking about earlier, where purity culture really does seem to revolve just around sex and preventing sex. Um, that's where it's like, okay, modesty, um, to be ironic, is showing its hand. It's not actually about modesty and purity culture. Um, anyway, cool. <laughs> um, so we've had a couple of technical difficulties. So if you hear us, if uh, the edit sounds a little funny, we're, we're making it. So we're talking about, uh, pornography as well. Um, and with pornography, I mean, I don't think most Christians, would be too far from what we're going to say or purity culture with ideas like, Oh, pornography is not empowering to women. It's actually destructive. I feel like that's not a very controversial thing to say. <laughs> I don't think that's like a, a very, um, new thing. I mean, I know there are some, some voices out there that would oppose that, but like as far as within purity culture and thinking about pornography. So what I wanted to talk about for a second is, does purity culture affect pornography use or does it have any similarities? I know it's kind of a big question. So um, I'm curious to what you guys think about that. But as, as you're thinking, because again, I, I, I'm springing it on you guys for our listeners context. Um, <laughs> I did have something to share. I remember when I was speaking with a psychology professor about pornography and it is that Wheaton, um, I remember this shifted my whole focus. And actually, it's very similar to the podcast episode we, re- we recommended by Your Undivided Attention, where we were talking about the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And when we were talking about pornography with this professor and basically saying, because there's a lot of Christian young men and, and young women who sometimes there's an extra bit of shame that women who struggle with pornography feel because they're like, oh, this is something that only men struggle with. So I'm not trying to make that mistake, but as a man, I was mostly interacting with men who struggle with pornography. Um, so uh, this professor, I basically asked him, like, hey, if someone's trying to stop viewing pornography, if I'm trying to help a guy, or at the time, you know, in the past, I'd also struggled. I was like, how do, how do I stop? How do I tell people to stop? And his response was really insightful. He basically said, what I've found is when people are invested in relationships, with male and female, people older than them, their age, and younger than them, 
the problem usually takes care of itself. And um, the only reason why I'm not quoting him directly is because I'm not sure if I'm exactly quoting him correctly. So I'm just kind of saying vaguely a psychology <laughs> professor. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but I thought it was really fascinating because at the time, you know, when you're in high school or middle school, I was just taught, you know, get a software on your computer, um, you know, and these other things that can be helpful, but like this idea of like, just don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But there wasn't anything that's like, Oh, what, what should I do? What's a, what's a healthy thing I can fill my life with. Um, but anyway, I kind of talked about that for a little bit, but yeah, I'm curious as to what you guys think. Is there any way that purity culture and pornography use are linked or not? No, I think that's interesting what you were just talking about in that, like, I definitely was in the same context of, you know, the just just don't do it. And what I thought was interesting, this ties into my own experiences with regard to um, the theology and the raw episode in which they're talking about how oftentimes those like accountability groups that we hear so often about, they're predominantly geared towards, towards that, like, just don't do it mentality um, to the exclusion of everything else. So in a sense, it almost like, focuses all your growth on like one particular dimension of your Christian faith. Um, and then like just revolves those relationships around that one topic to where like, it's a very, it seems like a, I don't know. It's just a very confusing dynamic to, to be a part of where like you're only engaging with that particular accountability group for one particular thing and you're not living life with them in any other context. So you're literally just kind of preoccupied with one vice that the only time you hang out with them is when you're talking about that. And it just doesn't seem necessarily to like promote that flourishing and that engagement in like you were talking about before those different groups um, that are investing like in your entire life, not necessarily just like one minute aspect of your life. Yeah, I think that is. I think all of that like resonates. I think um, the other thing that I think it is connected to purity culture is because I would argue that purity culture is like objectifying to both men and women and so is pornography. And so like there's this lack of messaging around like you were talking about with modesty, like just how do we see other humans? And I think that's integrated into all of like what purity culture is sending messages about, but not explicitly always discussed. Um, and there's a lot of messaging that increase encourages like this similar viewing of humans that I think pornography also encourages. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that would be the like addition. Well, could you unpack how purity culture is objectifying to women and men? Because I think pornography is very intuitive, the sense of like you're exploiting people to make this video, you're exploiting them to sell it, um, to share it widely in their vulnerability. But do you mind unpacking just a little bit more how purity culture is objectifying? Yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like we just talked about it with like women's bodies are objects and they are to be covered up or they are to be exploited. And like, if they're not covered up, then it's justified for men to exploit them in their mind or in real life. Like, I think that's like, there's all these messages. And I think it's kind of the same 
like objectifying, I guess, to me, like it's like men are monsters. You have to protect them by covering up your body, saying no when you're dating someone, like setting strong boundaries. Like I think all that is uh, making men into like less than human, I guess, is maybe more but a better term than objectifying, yeah. but like not holistic human beings and so I think about pornography as like um portraying people as less than full holistic human beings and I think both of them kind of encourage that and obviously like purity culture might encourage it differently but I think because it encourages it it it's not like oh, wow, I was really taught to, like, see people as, like, full, beautiful humans. So now when I, like, see pornography, I'm like, whoa, this is not how I've been taught to see people. It's like, oh, yeah, this is, like, men are supposed to be like this. Women are supposed to be like that. Like, they deserve it this way. Like, it's it kind of reinforces the same messages, if, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. It was the con- the, the connection you were making... I just wasn't making it, and then when you said it, the idea that, um, yeah, women either need to be covered up or, like, married, and in that context, they can be uncovered, or men are monsters, or I think this idea of, like, an animal, just in general, is language that it's like, oh, yeah, I'm very familiar with that. Um, Now I'm just thinking of a bunch of songs that are like, (laughs) I'm not trying to throw any artists under the bus, but I'm like, oh, yeah, like, this is very much so... (laughs) just a normal thing to talk about men as animals or monsters. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like purity culture also believes that, but that's my opinion. Yes. I think uh, there's, when you're saying also believes that, this is something that they just briefly touched on as well. It was a different topic, but that idea that Sometimes our Christian sex ethic or just Christian whatever ethics are actually much more similar to culture than we like than the predominant culture than we'd like to believe. I always get a little bit hesitant to say the culture because I feel like it's kind of like saying the media. It's like, well, which which culture are you referring to? Like, are you referring to, you know, your family culture, your school's culture, your church culture? hollywood culture like um you know what i'm saying like it's so vague and a lot of times i think it it kind of fosters an us versus them mentality of like christians versus everybody else and like okay i'm Mm -hmm. not really trying to encourage that i would say in this case purity culture and pop culture perhaps aren't that different like you said Kristen, and that's interesting to think about but i don't really have any great profound I was just highlighting that and not really bring any new insight. Um, did you guys have any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? And I, I did want to bring our co-listener into this as well. He had a really great review for us. I really liked how in the podcast they talked about reintegrating the concept of pleasure into the church, like in the sense of understanding pleasure within the entire human being right rather than just relegating it to kind of this like sensual act right so thinking about it as you know um enjoying the food that you eat enjoying nature enjoying 
the kind of like experience of being human and integrating that back in to have a more healthy concept of the human body and human experience in general. Absolutely. I, I really like the way they talked about, I'm glad you brought up, because we didn't talk a ton about their podcast. We kind of referenced it here and there, but I do remember, I think the term he used was sexual integrity. And I know he, mm-hmm. Jason Soshnick, um, it sounds like he kind of often is operating public school. So it's not necessarily this Christian context or whatever. Um, but how that term, that sexual integrity, that sexual wholeness um, is a beautiful thing. That kind of thing that zooms out instead of just focusing on sex, instead of just focusing on, focusing on virginity. Um, Kristen, did you have any uh, concluding thoughts before I read our, our co-listener to wrap us up? No. Yeah, I think that mine was like kind of similar to yours, Luke, with this more holistic. I, I think before I listened to the podcast, I might have used the term like sexual ethic or, but, and I like that... Um, the guest on the podcast I like that he said or he he seemed very much like let's talk about all of these things and I think that that he his approach was just much more um holistic because he's he seemed like the program that he does or at least he himself seems much more open to like let's really like think about it. Let's really talk about it. Let's have a dialogue. We don't necessarily have to end up at the same place, but at the same time, like really consider what values are we bringing to this? And that is something that feels like it is often lacking from all over the place. And so I think that that concept, like, I guess maybe as a parent, like makes me excited of like, oh, let's have a let's have a conversation about like how do yeah how do you be a person of sexual integrity or sexual ethics and so I guess that would be my concluding thought. That's really good, and that's hard to do. I mean, I have trouble being like, let's talk about these really sensitive topics, and yeah, totally okay if we don't agree about anything. <laughs> that's that's hard to do. Um, I don't know if I'm characterizing that exactly how you did, but. Um, like I think if you come from it though from a place of like sexual integrity I don't know that you'll end up not agreeing about anything or I think it it makes the whole dialogue like a different thing because you're kind of pulling from what people want to be I think people want to be have like character or at least like ethical even if they're not maybe like faith-based people Um, so I think it brings the discussion comes from a very different place absolutely excellent well thank you Kristen, for joining us and thank you both for enduring my (laughs) impromptu prompts Uh, (laughs) pleasure's all mine (laughs) every week right nick oh yeah every week just random questions (laughs) on the fly ordered for everyone else (laughs) Not important <laughs> yeah. topics. Nothing of meaning. <laughs> um, fortunately, we do have a co-listener who was given lots of time, and I'm very grateful for this co-listener. I actually, I got this is Ian in Wisconsin. I gotta say, Ian, I'm very grateful for you because 
Ian had actually written a, a co-listening review for an entirely different episode. And then we were like, actually, we're not going to do that episode. And then he rewrote one for this one. So thank you, Ian, for your patience with us. Here's his uh, review of episode number 754. Sex, youth culture, pornography, and why the purity movement didn't work from Theology in the Raw. Ian says, Theology in the Raw is perhaps the most thoughtful and gracious podcast I've encountered when studying hot topic issues. Preston exemplifies a balance of humility and conviction that is rare in today's polarized society. His guests are always informed and authentic with the credentials to back their perspectives. In this episode, he discusses a plethora of interconnected topics around sexuality, youth culture, and the church with guest Jason Soshinek. Whether you agree with their full diagnosis or not, the conversation tackles several deeply important issues in our world that I would contend are well worth the hour and 45 minutes of your time. Theology in the Raw is all about listening and being challenged by raw conversations from a wide variety of perspectives. It's comfortable with the uncomfortable world of honest opinion, and this episode is no exception. Well, thank you again, Ian, for that co-listening. And for everyone here, here at Beggar's Bread, don't forget we've got a Patreon. We've got our bonus episode this month. Ryan Gosling wears a sweater. And next week, we bring you Second Genesis. See you then.